Hello and welcome to another episode of the Barefoot Survival podcast, news and views from Jane Gunn and guests. In this episode, I speak with Emma Blomfield, who is a shepherdess and a solo female farmer. Emma and I talk about the importance of regenerative farming in creating a landscape and food production that is sustainable and supports animals, plants and the human ecosystem. So welcome, Emma. Hello, Jane. So Emma, I'm really excited. I'm really excited to to chat to Emma today because uh, I've met Emma at our local farmer's market and I think what Emma's doing is an absolutely wonderful thing in terms of uh, what I would call regenerative and sustainable farming, being able to uh, look after the land, look after the animals at the same time as producing food for all of us. So I'm really excited to chat to Emma about that in a time where I think farmers of all kinds are under enormous pressure. So Emma, tell us a little bit about what you do. I know you're really, really passionate about your work as what would I call you? I mean, I think you say on your website, you're a solo female farmer. Is that right? Uh, I go by many titles. (laughs) Um, But yes, um, that's probably the best summary. I'm a tenant farmer, so I don't own any land the only thing I own is my animals and I have multiple landlords where I graze majority of conservation grazing so basically my main focus with my animals is one to produce healthy tasty quality meat um, from a grass-based system and I produce beef lamb hogget and mutton um, all year round but I use I use ground that is owned by several um, landlords and trusts that focus is on the environmental so I'm very conscious that I am aiding the environment rather than deducting from the environment let's put it that way and just a few weeks ago I came to visit your farm which when it was a beautiful autumnal day and we we had a walk around the farm and it's uh it's in Oxfordshire isn't it uh along the Thames path a place called um near Whitnam Clumps and I think it's called the Earth Trust Farm. Is that where you are? So I, I'm on several sites in Little Whitnam. There's uh, one of my main landlords is the Earth Trust, yes. um, who looks after the Whitnam clumps. And Church Farm Partnership is another private landlord that I also tenant. I am a tenant for within the village. So I have two landlords in the village. And yes. then I have a Blenheim Estate outside of just outside of Oxford, they have some land there that I rent. And I have a couple of other smaller uh, landlords dotted within the sort of South Oxfordshire area. And that sounds as though that makes life a little bit complicated as well, Emma, in terms of, you know, how you are able to to plan year to year, I guess. Yeah, it, it does. Um, my acreage is always changing. So I always have to be malleable and, and flexible. And I always have to be able to think on my feet in terms of where the animals are going to go I am quite lucky that at the beginning of the spring slash summer season I know roughly what I've got for that six months and then going into the autumn and winter I then will know what's available for that six months so I'm basically working within six months of each block Um, I don't get a lot more foresight than that 
Yeah, that sounds quite challenging to me. But what, what I think is really interesting, and I, I guess many people today, um, particularly younger people maybe, have no idea really when they go shopping for, for meat and farm produce, actually where it comes from and how it's been produced. You know, if you buy the kind of meat that you're producing, uh, beef and lamb, they buy it in a packet from the supermarket. They probably don't understand how that's raised. And there's a difference, isn't there, between uh, meat that's been industrially produced and what you're doing, which is much more regenerative farming, so or, or even sustainable. And, and I know that the um, the land that you're raising your uh, your um, herds on is uh, is meadow farming, is it? So tell us a little bit about this sort of sustainable, regenerative way that you farm, Emma. So it's we, what we try and do is we try and make it as holistic as possible. So we're trying to only put in things that will enrich the soil, which then enriches the invertebrates and the microbes and the fungi which then obviously aids the birds and the bees and the and as the food chain goes up to the the bigger birds and the other wildlife and so what cows and sheep do they have different roles within a regenerative model mm. um but the main thing is obviously they provide organic matter which feeds the soil and soil is life and so that's why everything I do, although I'm not organic, fully organic, I try and live by a lot of organic based principles of adding as little inputs as possible. We don't use any artificial nitrogen. We don't add any extra um, organic nitrogen either, only what the cows and the sheep leave behind. In terms of what the animals have, they only have what's in a sustainable way. They only have what veterinary medicine and things that they the, the vets recommend we don't give anything as a uh, preventative so we don't do we don't do any antibiotic usage as a prevention we only provide medicines when the animal is actually sick and so the animals do have very limited interventions given to them and so that it is a very natural way for them to be reared and um, looked after. And I know uh, you talked when I came to see you about how the sheep will self-medicate. They'll actually, because there are herbs and different, you know, they kind of know what they need and they know when they're not well and they can self-medicate to a degree. Is that right? If they've got access to things, then definitely. There are mm. definite plants out there. The one that always springs to mind is ivy. Ivy is a great detoxer. Oh. Um, so if a ewe or a, or a cow even is just feeling very under the weather, got very poor gut ache or something from either eating or being under the weather due to illness, mm. um, they will seek out ivy and eat that as a, as a detoxifier. So they actually seek it out to make themselves feel better. They sometimes seek it out when they're not unwell, just as a general sort of like, I'm going on a detox today um, <laughs> diet. We all do, and, yes. Yeah. But uh, yes, when I have a sick animal, one of the first things I offer it is ivy. And nine times out of ten, it's very grateful for um, being offered it. Amazing. And so one of the differences uh, I, I think w we are seeing, or if, if we look into farming, is that there's a real drive towards what I'd say is um, 
kind of linear monoculture. So uh, a lot of crops being, you know, single crops being grown. Of course, there's a real drive to vegetarianism and growing more crops for for to feed the vegetarian market versus what you're doing, which is actually um, creating, uh, a, you know, a diverse culture, isn't it, with with all the plants and the and the animals together um, living off each other, I guess. The 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 problem with monoculture is that if you keep producing the same thing on ground, um, so on arable land, for example, then what we like if I always kept sheep in the same field and didn't rotate or didn't keep change or or rotate, we we get a thing called sheep sickness in the field. Right. Basically, it's had too much, too many sheep for too long. Yes. Um, and and wheat crops are getting things like black grass and things like that, which basically means that they're having they're they're having exposure to too many chemicals because the the, the there is no balance. You you you've got to have a little bit of um, balance, and that's why there is a big drive at the moment in the worlds that I sort of recent look into and under try and understand of growing um, crops alongside companion crops to yes. prevent this monoculture like having the detrimental effect on the soil because obviously if we introduce things that have natural like nitrogen fixing nodules and things like this along with the wheat you still get your great crop that's going to make you your beautiful flower yes um but you don't get all the we well, you get less of the negative effects of the chemicals that you would have had to put in if you didn't put those companion crops in. So again, it, it's all about, there is a big drive for it. And I'm hoping that the drive that's currently in the air will continue because it's a very positive one that we can produce cereals and meat in a sustainable way if we just tweak the balance and just yeah move away, like you say, from this monoculture. Monoculture is not good for anyone. No. Um, but sustainable companionship sort of thing if we want a better phrase is is definitely a positive way forward for agriculture and i know the day that i came to visit your farm um you know a couple of things you know we looked at a, a cow pat if you like you don't often look into a cow pat but there are it's you know it's teeming with wildlife isn't it so you know that's a a, a microcosm of its own and then the second thing was down by the river, and I know you explained this, but the impact that your farming has on the um, wild uh, birds and the birds that come in onto the land. So tell us about how you're making a difference to the ecoculture itself. So we're, I'm part of a small project called the Yellow Wagtail Project. Um, the Yellow Wagtail Project it was to monitor the number of yellow wagtails nesting and breeding along well, within Oxfordshire, but also further afield as well, because they are ground feeding birds that rely on insects to feed their young. And we're finding things like they like to nest in wheat that's alongside fields with cattle. And by using no fly treatments and no chemicals on the cows, their dung then becomes literally a haven for insect life and larvae that then grow and benefit from the organic matter left behind from the cows which then in turn creates more invertebrates which then the birds feed on so we've had a really good trend of watching 
the yellow wagtail population just as a small snippet it's not on a big research scale but on a small scale they the the numbers being monitored as being born and, and surviving to adulthood has dramatically increased just by providing more of a food source for the insect life that they eat, live on amazing and this this series of podcasts is all about how we can survive in the times that we're in and and you know of course we've all got to f- to feed ourselves to survive but we've also got to think about how is the land itself going to survive in the longer term and i think you're doing two things and i know you know sometimes people say well I, you know i can't afford meat or i can't afford you know the more expensive organically reared meat but of course what you do emma is and I know you even provide recipes on your website, we're going back to the, again, sort of the older fashioned methods of farming, but perhaps the older fashioned methods of cooking. And I know you you sell sort of the, 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 the types, the cuts of meat that one can slow cook, that you can make casseroles out of, and, uh, you know, that are actually much more economic to work with, aren't they? Yes. The, my main aim about my business, Emma's Youth Work, is, is the fact that you have sustainable meat produced locally which is accessible by the community so I'm not registered organic because I'm not fully organic certified or anything like that but I do produce environmentally friendly sustainable high quality meat that has won awards and my main aim of the business is to ensure that the community can afford and access my meat and so I am very passionate about the fact that my pricing is very competitive. It's not little or rowdy. It's never going to be. It's a single person business that has a lot of man hours involved. Mm. However, it is kept. Um, it's cheaper than organic, and it's also fully local and with as little carbon impact as we can make. So I always try and keep my prices in line with that. And I also do boxes, which, as well as the recipes, I provide um, mixed boxes and lamb boxes and beef boxes where the meat is significantly reduced because you are buying either three or five kilos of beef at a time in different cuts. And the lamb is either coming as a quarter lamb, a half lamb, a whole lamb, in, in, in obviously all portioned up into cooking joints. By buying it in that way, you're buying a better quality product for a significantly reduced price. And and I know, Emma, and the reason I buy meat from you uh, and, and that's grass-fed is that there are health benefits, aren't there, to eating this uh, meat that's reared in this way. If you're going to eat meat, then buying grass-fed, um, sustainably reared meat, it does have health benefits, doesn't it? Yeah, there's been, there's, there's increasing research that shows there's higher omega fatty acids, so three and six, definitely higher in grass-fed meat. Although it's only anecdotal, I have a lot of people who have allergies who find that because the animals that I rear don't have cereals in their diet, um, so celiacs and other um, allergens, they, they, they can actually digest my meat more easily. This isn't like, it's not proven and don't get me wrong, I haven't got any research directly on it, but anecdotally, I definitely do have people that who cannot cope with the supermarket meat because commercial beef and lamb has a higher percentage chance of being finished on grain yes. um and so and then when it's finished on grain that stores some of the um protein modules from the grain in its own fat hence how it's then passed on when you eat it 
Yes, and that that would be the case. That would be the case for me, and one of the reasons I so enjoy uh, your, your meat, your products, Emma. And so, what about um, what have you learned? What do you think is one of the most important things that you're learning, uh, have learned that is is really relevant uh, in the world we're living in today? It's I might I still say the the most relevant point that I've learned over doing this over six years is is quality over quantity yeah. now anyone who meets me in person will say i'm a big girl i'm definitely not small in any proportion but i do really value a quality piece of meat over quantity yes um and you really do feel more satisfied by meat that has been reared properly i again it's anecdotal but i personally feel because the animals are growing at a natural rate, as in they are growing at the rate that they naturally deem their natural rate, rather than being given extra like sugar and candy by giving them cereals. So cereals is like putting them on a fast food diet. Yep. It's not bad for them in the sense of they won't suffer and it won't be hurting them as such, but they will put fat and muscle on quicker. Mm. Whereas mine is a more natural diet. So they don't, they grow at their natural rate. And I personally think that means that the muscle fibres are put down in a more uniform manner. Now, this is completely anecdotal. I do not have any proof. But I think that is one of the reasons why when you cook my meat, one, it doesn't shrink. Yeah. So you buy a joint and you, you have that joint after you've cooked it. It's still not half the size. Obviously, there are butchery methods where they inject it with water and things like that. And that doesn't happen with mine as well, which also causes a lot of shrinkage. But yes, going back to the quality over quantity, the muscle fibers and everything, it just feel when you eat it, you don't need as much to feel satisfied. It's definitely a denser, richer product, but it, in the same sense, it's not tough or, or heavy, but it is more satisfying. Uh, I can definitely testify to that, Emma. And the other thing I think about what you do and, and and the people I I'm really interested in in business now is that you love what you do you put actually love into it and I honestly think that comes through in what you're producing in the way you sell it and actually in the produce in the you know in the final product it's made with love isn't it oh you, you can't do the hours I do without loving the role that I play no. um I I easily do an 80 to 90 hour week easily, yeah. um, probably more at certain times of the year. But I don't regret a single hour that I spend out there. Um, I enjoy the time with the animals. And uh, this is the question I get a lot of the market. Oh, you know, how can you send your animals to their end destination? And And the truth is because I know they have had the best life they can have in the time they've been in this world so to speak and that animal has uh spent 95 percent of its life probably even closer to 98 percent of its life outside in the great outdoors enjoying the weather enjoying the elements mm. um having access to shade trees grass some of them have had access to the water's edge in areas where we've got inlets from the river and things like that so they've had you know they've even had access to the water they've had a fully enriched life the best bit about the love for the animal is the fact that i can 
ask them. I don't drive them or shout at them or anything. Mm. I can ask them to do things for me mm. and they do respond. And it is a case of having that respect for your animal that you can have that conversation that you would like them to move, please move. Yeah. You would like them to walk on, please walk on. And they do know it and they do understand it. And and I've had many a conversation and chuckle on my own when I've been there saying, come on, you know, you need to go that way. And they're like, oh, okay, mum. Okay. <laughs> yes, I know I've been there and seen you, Emma. And so I would love more people to know. I mean, it's been wonderful to chat to you and introduce people to the way you farm. But if people want to find you and your produce or even come and visit you, Emma, I know you do have open days. You do do open days for lambing in the spring, for example. Um, yes. So on. So if people want to find out more about you, how do they do that? So I am on social media. I must admit the last couple of months I've been fairly quiet because it's been so busy here. But <laughs> I am on social media and I try and keep all main events updated on social media. Yes. So I am on Facebook and Instagram mostly under Emma's Useful Acres. Yes. Um, and it's a play on words. So it's E-W-E-S-F-U-L Acres. So useful. Um, yes. um, so you can't really forget it. And I also have a website so you can purchase meat boxes on the website. But also my phone number and email is readily available on the website. So please don't hesitate to pick up the phone and have a conversation. I do national delivery um, by overnight courier as well. There is a charge for that, but there's free delivery within Oxfordshire for any deliveries over £30. Um, but also you can find me at local farmers markets. So uh, the first and third weekends of the month, I'm in Wallingford where you see me, Jane. Mm -hmm. um, and then on the second and fourth weekends of the month, I'm in Wantage. Um, and if it's not me on the stand, then it will be probably a family member who has stepped in for me because I need to be somewhere else with the animals. But yeah. nine times out of 10, it's me manning the stand. But occasionally it is a family member that stepped up to help me out because um, I need to be somewhere else with the animals. Oh, well, brilliant. Well, we'll put all of those details in the show notes as well, Emma, so people can be sure to be able to find you, to contact you. Uh, and I know that turkeys are going to be really expensive this Christmas, so some of your meat could be a really useful addition to people's Christmas menus for sure. Yeah, definitely taking orders at the moment for Christmas. And uh, even if you think you might be a little late, feel free to drop me an email. Um, and if I can help you get something, a treat for Christmas, then I certainly will. Brilliant. Emma, so brilliant to chat to you. Really enjoyed our conversation. I'm absolutely passionate about what you're doing about sustainable and regenerative farming uh, and about your produce. So thank you for your time. Well, thank you, Jane. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please do subscribe to the Barefoot Survival podcast series. And if you would like to access my free video series for managing in times of change, challenge and crisis, please go to janegun.co.uk forward slash video. The link is in the show notes.